Well, we continue to read from the book of Exodus. As many of you will know, we've been working through the book of Exodus. This morning, we're reading chapter 13. Chapter 13. And uh, it may seem strange to you if you've been uh, following the readings uh, through uh, daily that we're reading chapter 13 today rather than chapter 12. Now, I have a particular reason for it. Uh, chapter 12 is the uh, account of the Exodus itself. As I read chapter 13, can you try and guess, pardon me, can you try and guess why I'm reading this chapter and not the actual account of the big event itself. As we read, we remember that God Himself speaks to us in Scripture. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn meal. The first offering of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. And Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land He swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with His mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as He promised on oath to you and to your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every, room, every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with His mighty hand. When Pharaoh did not let the people go, God did not, sorry, when Pharaoh let the people go, 
God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though this was the shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And we thank God for His Word that we have read together. As we come to consider Exodus chapter 13 together, shall we pray together? Let us pray. Father, we ask that the words that I speak and the words that we hear might have their origin in You, and may they find their fulfillment as You take them and use them for Your own glory and for the benefit of both speaker and all of us who hear. So, gracious God, we bow before You, listening for You, longing to hear You, and willing to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, life builders uh, after church this morning, I hope we're, we're going to, I'm going to start it with it as, as I frequently would by asking if there are any questions that you have. Because I'm aware that there are quite a number of things in this chapter and also in chapter 12, and maybe some that will come up from earlier or later chapters, that are actually quite difficult. And they, there are some serious questions raised that we sometimes don't wrestle with, either because we don't see them or because we prefer to leave them to one side. I'm going to point up one or two as we go, but uh, there'll be quite a number that I'm, that I'm not going to mention. And uh, if, if anything sparks your thinking, then come on along after you get your tea and, and we'll take a wee look at them. I think it was Jonathan Barden who wrote the, uh, perhaps the definitive history of Ulster, who looked at history and said that in, in uh, the north of Ireland, we look at history like a quarry, and in that quarry, we hew stones, and we use those stones to throw at our enemies. History is the quarry from which we hew th stones to throw at our enemies. We do remembering well, don't we? It's one of the big words in all of our communities. Remember. And you can put your own date and your own event after that. And maybe, maybe we might want to think about this a bit more in Life Builders. There is a corrupting type of remembering. There is a remembering that is destructive. And that can be for communities, as I've alluded, but it can also be for individuals. 
And sometimes that remembering is because we want to hold on to that, that uh, pain almost, yeah? Sometimes it's because it's, it has shackles that we would love to break, but we just can't stop remembering the hurt. And that is deeply, deeply distressing. And for folk in, in that condition, we come alongside and we do what we can to help break that, that destructive remembering. And sometimes it needs professional help, professional counseling, and uh, even medical care. So the big word for this morning is the word remember. And the reason I read chapter 13 rather than chapter 12 is because chapter 13 is looking forward and saying, this is what you want to do, uh, this is what God wants you to do in order to remember what has happened and to remember it well, because it could have been deeply destructive. Just one example. It could have been that as Israel remembered the events of the Exodus, the big thing that stuck in their minds was how awful those Egyptians were and how we will hate these Egyptians forever and ever and ever. And the Egyptians will be our enemy, and we'll do what we can to destroy them because of what they did to us. We will not forget. Destructive. So what's the remembering that uh, the book of Exodus wants us to get to grips with? Um, this is another, I haven't even started yet, by the way. This is just another preliminary comment. <laughs> Up in the right-hand corner of the screen, you'll see a little symbol some of you will be familiar with. It's two Greek letters that are the uh, first letters of the uh, name Christ. And they're an ancient Christian symbol. I'm putting them up in the corner of the screen because all of the Old Testament is to have its fulfillment in Christ. It all points to Christ in one way or another. But in these chapters, there are a few little traps, I think, that we can fall into that seem to point us to Jesus, but don't really. And if we focus too much on them, then we lose sight of what actually does point us to Jesus. And that's a danger with this sermon. I'll flag it up straight away. That's a danger. Okay? Remember. The first thing that Exodus tells us is to remember what God has done for you. Now, you can see that little list of, of references. If you're visiting with us, um, the uh, numbers on the screen before the colon is a chapter, after the colon is the verse. Um, so, chapter 12 and chapter 13. I'll not refer to them specifically, but each one of them is doing exactly the same thing. It's saying, remember this day when the Lord brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Remember what has happened. Remember how He brought you out of slavery. Remember that you were 430 years as slaves, and God has brought you out. Now, that's interesting to pause on for a minute, isn't it? We're told in, in these verses that they were, as I said, 430 years in Egypt. The interesting thing, of course, is that it all started out so very well. Joseph had become was the prime minister of Egypt, as it were. His family were in trouble. 
There was famine. So they came down to Egypt where there was plenty of food. It was a grand idea. But over the years, over all of those years and over those generations, something had gone desperately wrong. The people of Israel had moved from being a favored group, a small favored group, to being slaves. How had that happened? Where's the point at which that happened? Well, we've no idea. But it happened at some point. I just wonder, does that ring any bells? Perhaps with us as a community, again, we can talk about it later, but maybe with you as an individual. Something that started off innocently, maybe that looked very good, that was grand, but gradually has become something that has enslaved you in one way or another. And perhaps you wish you could go back and say, and, and just not start that relationship or not take that job or not share that website. If only you could go back and start again, you wouldn't. Now, please be careful of what I'm, what I'm saying here. I'm not necessarily saying that that slavery is something evil that you've done, something bad that you've done. And the slavery today that, that you feel in, in your spirit is because you're doing something evil. No, not at all. Not at all. I, just to take one example, one example is work. There's a significant number of folk today who just feel enslaved to their work. Is that because their work is wicked? No, not at all. Is it because they are bad people? No, not at all. It's simply because the patterns that have been allowed to develop have become a form of slavery in which they feel constrained and tied and broken, and there are all sorts of things happening. Exodus tells us, remember that God can set you free. He did it fantastically in the past. And also, I suppose, remember that it's God who has done this for you. The whole of the narrative is about the people being still and quiet until the time was ready. I'll come back to that in a minute. But the key thrust of the verses that I've mentioned, and there are just, just two more, it's what God has done for you. God is the active player in this drama. God is the one who sets people free. The Israelites in their slavery simply couldn't do it for themselves. This is not the story of political action that wins freedom. It's not the story of a heroic rebellion led by heroic leaders that fights for freedom. It's not the story of a, of a new consciousness arising among the people so that they became educated and gradually worked their way up the social scale and found freedom. It's none of these things. It's God setting His people free. It's God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. Another thing you might want to pick up later. It's God who led them in the cloud and fire. And, and without going into, into next week, it's God who will part the Red Sea, as you know. It's God who slew the firstborn. 
It's God who knew which house to go into and which house not to go into. It's God who warmed the hearts of their neighbors, and this is really strange, who warmed the hearts of their neighbors so that they were willing to give them gold, silver, and clothing. It's God who has done everything. And so, even if the situation in which we find ourselves, we look around it and say, there's nothing I can do about this. The message of Exodus 13 is, God can. And the message of the Passover that the people of Israel were never to forget was to look back and say, yes, God did. And if He did that, there's nothing He can't do. Remember what God has done for you. We can just flag this up as a little bit of a trap in, in waiting. Remember the cost. I, can I ask you to do something just, just for a second? All right? I'm, I'm going to ask some of you to stand. If you're the oldest person in your family, if you were the firstborn in your family, would you stand? Okay? If you were the firstborn in your family, would you stand? I'm, I'm standing already. Do I need to explain why I did this? Do I? Look at the number of folk here standing. Look at the quality of the folk here standing. <laughs> Thanks very much, folks. You can sit down. Look at this story from the point of view of the Egyptians. What's the big word comes to mind if you're an Egyptian and you're looking at this story? What's the big word? It's something like tragedy, but that's not big enough. Disaster, but perhaps that's not even big enough. Genocide comes pretty close, doesn't it? Look at the cost of buying the people's freedom. We cannot set that to one side because sometimes freedom has a cost. And if what is enslaving us, if what is difficult for us, if what we find we can't break free from, Sometimes God says, yes, I will set you free, but there is a cost. Second thing is remember, sorry, I, I, I forgot to, to put that slide up, not just uh, to say it's not just an individual family who were broken, but it was a host of families uh, who were broken by that. And so we think what is for me, the cost of my freedom. Can I just give you one, one more pleasant example of that? Cost doesn't always have to be horrendous. Uh, John Martin, you remember John? He used to be city missioner here. Some of you remember John. And John has, uh, has come through Union College. He's now assistant over uh, on Crumlin Road and will become uh, a minister uh, very soon. John's half the man he used to be. Well, maybe not half the man he used to be, but there's a lot less of him than there used to be. Because John went on a diet and took up an exercise regime, and he now controls his eating, and he controls his exercise, and he's lost three stones so far. 
sometimes, yes, there's, there's a cost in eating, in exercising, and sometimes it's not a great cost. Sometimes it's much bigger than that. Then remember that the cost, although it looks big, the situation, although it looks disastrous, does not mean that it is without. Anybody know what the diamond is? Anybody? Hope. It's the Hope Diamond. It's the Hope Diamond, one of, the, one of those uh, magnificent diamonds in the world. It's the Hope Diamond. So looking at the situation, looking at the slavery, looking at the struggle, looking at the cost that I might have to pay, still doesn't mean there's no hope. There is hope. There is. Why? Well, see, it's, it's coming back to that same again. Remember who has done this for the people. Remember that it's God who has done this. Just a little clue about a New Testament allusion here. Where was the most hopeless situation in the Scriptures? In the New Testament, obviously. What was the most hopeless situation? It was when a man who had seemed to be so full of hope, so full of a bright new future, so full of fantastic uh, teaching, who worked miracles, who brought people to follow him, who promised the freedom of Israel, his body had begun to rot in a tomb. What hope is there there? Yes, yes, yes. But on Sunday, Jesus walked. There is hope whatever situation you find yourself in. Remember, this is how you live. What's, what's going on with the um, yeast and the uh, lamb that's roasted? What's going on there? Well, the, the whole uh, emphasis of this story is that God does something dramatic in the middle of the night, and the Egyptians realize what has happened, and instead of the Israelites fighting for the freedom, the Egyptians essentially pay them to get out. They say, get out as quickly as you can, and the folk have to be ready to go. No time to boil meat. No time to do it slowly. No time to put yeast in the bread and wait for it to rise. Unleavened bread, roasted meat, get up and go, grab everything you can and go. So what are the people told to do? Not to take action, but to be ready to take action. Not to do anything for themselves, but to be ready to do what God calls them to do. To wait and to watch. See, part of the being ready was making preparations yeah, the preparation is to get up and go, of course. But that other preparation that looks so strange to us, that sounds just a bit weird and bloodthirsty, to kill a lamb, to drain its blood, to take uh, some leaves, to, to stir them into the blood, and to paint it on the doorposts and lintel. And to allow that to be a sign 
in, in one way, of course, assigned to God to, to pass by that, but also assigned to the people that the time is just about now. Something is happening tonight, and we're ready to go. We're on our marks. We're straining forward. And then when the whistle blows, or when the cry goes up from the distraught Egyptians, now is the time to go. And when chapter 13 is written, it's these events that they want to remember. Yes, remember what God has done, but remember your part as well. Remember that God called you to be ready. God called you to be waiting, and God called you to take action. Remember those things. Yep. We're in this situation. I feel this oppression in my life that is sounding like slavery. What's God saying to me? First, He's saying, I can get you out of this. I can. Second, He's saying, there's going to be a cost. Third, He's saying, are you ready to go? And that's important, isn't it? Are are you ready? Because it may well be that God is saying, yeah, okay, come on, I can get you out of this. I I can take you from this bad place to a much better place. I can do it for you. And you're saying to God, yeah, that's great, Lord, thank you. Yeah, let me just get on with this stuff. Could, could you give me a while? Could, could you let me do this first? Could you, could you, there's this stuff I want to. And God's saying, as soon as you're ready. Almost standing back and putting his hands in his pockets and saying, I'm ready when you are. And the problem is we're not ready. We haven't made the preparations. The Israelites were told to hang loose to Egypt. They were told that many of the things that they had were going to be left behind. So don't value them. See, I often wonder whether there was actually a transaction went on with the Egyptians. And and one Egyptian was saying to one Israelite, here, here, have these clothes, have this silver, have this gold. Can I have your house when you're gone? because there must have been an awful lot of stuff left behind. Now, as slaves, it may not have been uh, particularly wonderful stuff. Hmm. Ready to go? Ready for change? Then remember who we are. Next week, we'll celebrate communion together, and that'll be a sign of who we are. And this Passover feast was one of the key ways in which God's people said to themselves, this is who we are. This is who we are together. And just a, a quick couple of points about it. It is a feast. Again, this is really odd if you look at the whole thing in, in the round. Thousands and thousands of people had died how many people, maybe at least 1.2 million, probably 2 million, maybe more people, had been uprooted from their homes in Egypt and had gone out into the desert. This is not happy stuff, really, in totality yet. Yes, they may be free, but they can see bad things ahead. 
And yet the people are called to look back and feast. They are to rejoice. They are to have this week of preparation, unleavened bread and so on. But then it's all to issue in a feast. As we come here to worship, and maybe in your daily devotions, can we see it as a feast? As we worship together, there should be a sense of, God has done this for us. God has set us free. God is moving us towards a better place. God is among us. This is something worth celebrating. Oh, your daily devotions every morning. Here's an idea for you. Your daily devotions, whatever, whatever time it is. Finish your daily devotions every day with a square of chocolate. Just to remind you how good it is to be a Christian. Isn't that a great idea? Just one square of chocolate, by the way. Just one. Okay. <laughs> Do you think of your daily devotions as a chore or as a reminder of how great it is to be a Christian? See what you can do. Again, afterwards, we maybe have some ideas about how to, how to do that. The people are, say, are told to remember the fantastic things that God has done for them. They're also to be a place of welcome. You find that uh, the Israelites weren't the only people who left the land at that time. There was a great crowd of people left with them, others who presumably were slaves or had access to grind with the uh, Egyptians in some way, took this opportunity to become free. Did the Israelites say, oh, you're not of us? <sighs> oh, no, this is Israel only. No, no, they let them come along. And later, later in Numbers 11, in verse 4, we'll find that these people actually caused significant trouble for Israel. But they were there. And in these verses you'll see that when Israel is celebrating, when they're told how to celebrate, they're told that other people can join with them. Now, yet again, we have to be cautious here. There is an open invitation for folk to come and join, but there are limits set. And the limit is set like this. Come and join our celebration. Come and join our Passover feast. But if you're coming, you have to make a commitment to the same God to whom we are committed. And all the, the males among you have to be circumcised as, as a sign of that. By all means, come and join us. But we are what we are. We are the people of God. We are marked by what God has done for us and our commitment to Him. And full membership, fully being involved, fully being part of this community is making that same commitment. Anybody can travel with us. We're happy that people do. But we rejoice, as we've just done recently, at those who come, at individuals who come and say, I'm not just a fellow traveler. I am one of you. And we throw our arms around them and we say, yes, you're one of us, because Jesus has come into your life, and you're new, and you're one of us in a very special way. That's fantastic. So what we are as a people, we're open, yeah. We're welcoming, surely we have to be. And we invite people to join us as fully part of the people of God Himself. And then finally, we're people with a sense of direction. 
In these verses, the people are not just brought out of, but they start the journey towards. They're not coming out of slavery. They're coming to the land of the Canaanites and the other tribes. And how is it described? Do you remember those familiar words that many of us will remember for many years? A land flowing with milk and honey. A beautiful land, a rich land. That's where they're going to. And they're told to remember that. Remember what God has done for you, bringing you out of slavery. Remember the cost. Remember how you've been formed together as a people, united together. Remember the direction that you're heading and the good land that God is giving you. Now, at this stage, Exodus chapter 11, uh, sorry, Exodus chapter 12 and 13, there's still a generation away from it. But Moses is preparing the way. When you come into the land, keep on celebrating this. Keep on reminding yourselves that this is the land that God has given to us. This is home. Now, we translate that into our own experience. I feel a slave to whatever. God says to you, I can set you free. Are you ready to move? There is hope. I'll form you as part of a people. There are people who are willing to help you come through these difficult days. And I'm leading you to a better place. Remember what it is you're leaving behind. Whatever other good things you want to talk about, remember you're leaving behind slavery and going into a really good place. As the people of God today, it's true, we are heading to a fantastic place where there is no crying, no tears, no sickness, no fighting, no dissension, no death, no hurt, no evil. That's where we're heading to. But in a real sense, God is saying, are you making that place here as well? Are we as a community, a community of heaven, a community that embraces, a community that helps, a community that encourages. We're old and young and rich and poor and smart and not so smart are all together helping each other make this home. In the meantime, is that fantastic? Let me finish there. God says to Israel, I've done this for you. Remember I'd have brought you from. Remember what I've made you. Remember where you're going and where you are. And for all of us as individuals, remember what God has done for you or what God can do for you. Remember who we are as a people together. Remember where we're going. That's fantastic, isn't it? Shall we pray together? Lord our God, you have done wonderful, simply wonderful things for us. And you promise even more wonderful things for us. We pray for those who are still in that particular slavery, which means being outside your people. We pray release for new life, new hope, 
new peace. We pray for any of us who have fallen into a different type of slavery, whether it be through work or habits or relationships, or things that we do or don't do that just are crushing us. We feel the weight. Gracious God, if you want to set us free, may we be ready for that. And all of us together, gracious God, we rejoice in who we are, children of the living Lord, set free, heading to heaven, walking together. Thank you. Amen. Shall we pray together? Let us pray. In our prayers, we want to pick up some of the ideas that uh, I've been mentioning in my sermon. Father, we do pause to pray for those who carry heavy burdens, for those for whom life is dreadfully difficult. We pray, first of all, for those for whom life is difficult because they have fallen into a type of slavery. We pray that you would bring release. We pray that you would bring freedom. We pray that you would bring a new peace. For some of those folks, we recognize that there will be a change in circumstances that will bring freedom. For others, we recognize that even though their circumstances may stay the same, they can find a new joy, a new peace, a new release in their spirit. We think of individuals by name. And we pray passionately for their release. Father, we think also of folk who are on the outside. We think of folk who do not feel part of us as a community, who feel lonely or lost. We pray for the folk who are, are housebound within our community. Lord, enable us powerfully to embrace them in really practical ways. We pray for folk who wake up in the morning saying, why would anybody be interested in me? Lord, we pray that we might show love and care, compassion and welcome. We pray for folk who feel isolated at work or at college or at school in their, or in their neighborhood. For folk who are faithfully following you, and that's why they're lonely and isolated. We pray that you would bring them strength and courage, but we pray also specifically that you would bring to them fellowship, companionship, so that they might not walk alone. We pray for your church in places where they are a small minority, sometimes quietly set to one side by society, and we think of Lighthouse Church, Helen, her brothers and sisters there, we pray your powerful unity for them. 
particularly at this time. We pray for Christians for whom it's not just being set aside by the community, but they're being positively rejected, even to the point of death. Gracious God, will you come and set them free? May they know your peace. May they know your security. Lord our God, we cry out for them. We pray for, your, sorry, we pray for those people whose lives have been ripped apart by an earthquake, as the death toll looks as though it's heading towards a thousand and probably more, we pray that people around the world might say they are part of us and bring help, bring aid, bring good things into that disaster. And finally, we look again at ourselves and we remember what our children were thinking about. We pray for the organizations of our church. They're part of who we are as a fellowship, as a community. And so we pray for all who take part in any of our organizations. And in particular, we pray, we pray for the leaders and those who carry greater responsibility. We pray for a warm embrace in each of our organizations. We pray for a warm embrace as a congregation for each of our organizations. We pray, gracious Lord, that we might rejoice together in all that you have done for us, in all that you are doing among us, and in the places to which you will take us as you lead us forward. So we bring our prayers to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.